So what does happiness have to do with Purim? Okay, so everybody knows, I think, uh, in general, that when, when we talk about Purim, we're dealing with really, uh, I think, two things in general. First off, God's name is never mentioned in the Megillah, right? Everybody knows, because we're dealing now for the first time historically with Hester Panim. Uh, during the first temple era, the belief in God, or an absolute being, go and see the Shekhinah come down. You, you want to go see, you go on Yom Kippur, and the red wool turns into white, and you go any single day, and you can see an eternal fire coming down from heaven and evaporating all of the the uh, korbanos. Uh, now, pagan worship can exist, because you can believe in other absolute beings, but the concept of heresy was not really existent. Now, once we have the exile of the Jewish people and the destruction of the of the Beis Amikdash, for the first time, we as a Jewish people have to deal with a totally different state of existence, which uh, the, the the presence of the Almighty is is not revealed. It's hidden. It's uh, it's underneath. We have to do a different state of mind to begin to focus and recognize it. Uh, which was, of course, why the name of God is not mentioned in there, because the name of God is not immediately apparent in the in our world anymore. You have to discover it. It's Hester. So the name of God is not there. But, of course, everybody knows how he's pulling all the strings, and ultimately he builds the gallows to hang himself on his own things, and he kills Vashti to get his daughter in place, but he actually puts the woman who kills him to hang him on his own gallows into place, who's ultimately going to be the savior of the Jewish people, and a woman is taken who's not a basula, who's married to a man who's 85 years old, but has a chut shalchein that he picks, and he's a complete pervert, and all he can talk about when he's drunk is the nakedness of a woman. I don't, I imagine 85-year-old woman was not that attractive, yet he picks her to be his wife, and then he, of course, he puts Mordechai to be on the top, and then Mordechai happens to be outside, right, all these coincidences and happenstances and nowhere is it ever seen that God's name is expressly said or given it's a certain mindset it's a certain perception that you have to have in order to see the Shekhinah uh, two things in particular I, I think uh, you, you particularly need Simcha and Kedusha which of course we're going to achieve both on Purim which is the goal and the preparation is Simcha Kedusha is a gift uh, you can make yourself a vessel capable of receiving it but you can't do it on your own Happiness is something you can achieve on your own, and you have to come to the table with that. Uh, Kimu Vikiblu is another very important theme that we that we have to achieve on Perm. Is uh, for the first one when, when we were first given the Torah, the Gemara and Shabbos says that Hashem took the mountain and He flipped it upside down like a barrel, and He flipped it over our head, and He says, "Sham uh, Kurasim, either either accept where you are, or there you're buried." You know, it's like a mafioso guy. I have an offer that you can't refuse. We didn't refuse. We took the offer. Uh, you know, with those kind of options, we had to take the offer. So we took it, right? It's either there or die. So we took it. So, but of course, everybody knows that's that's not a legal contract in Judaism. If I say, sell me your car or I kill you, it's mekachtos. It's, you know, you, you've created a, an opening for me to escape from my responsibility. And the Gemara says that all Jews created an opening for their, for their responsibility. All Jews, they created that. Uh, so then the Gemara answers says, no, it's not true. It's not true, unfortunately. I know. Now you're going to say, oh, we can get out. I don't have to put it on the phone. No, it's not true. I'm sorry. The Gemara says that you uh, that later on, by the Purim story, we re-accepted. Kimu Vikiblu. We re-accepted the Torah for the, for the first time for the real. This wasn't a rape. This wasn't Hashem ma'anasing us, forcing us into it. This was us willfully accepting the Torah for what it was and what it is. We accepted it for real. So... Un, un, uh, you're saying until that point, you, you, your ancestors had an excuse? Yeah. I mean, from the Gemara, it's mashma they did, yeah. If they were smart enough to learn the Gemara and Megillah and to use the excuse. 
you should know uh, when you're in court on your day of court, you actually I, I don't think that you anybody you don't get a lawyer. You have to make your own claims. So unfortunately, the only difficulty is on the day of judgment. You know, uh, they, they always bring that medrash that it says, woe to us, you know, the youngest of the brothers, Yosef, when he says, Ani Yosef Chai, I'm Yosef, you know, and, and they were just so embarrassed from their youngest brother, after all, you know, they don't even respect the man. He's his youngest brother, but they're so embarrassed, they couldn't even answer him. It says, woe to us, what's going to be on the day of our life, you know, on the end of our life? Woe to us, what's it going to be? So Elio Anavi, he sees this man and he's sitting on his eye wasting his time. So he says, Bani. You're wasting your time? Have you learned Mikra? So he says, no. So he says, have you learned Mishnah? He says, no. He says, have you learned Gemara? He says, no. So he says, what are you going to tell the Almighty on the Day of Judgment? He says, oh, I have an answer. He says, oh, you have an answer, right? The Almighty's going to ask you, you know, what's your answer? So he says, he didn't give me the gifts. He didn't give me the capability. He didn't give me the understanding. I couldn't touch your Gemara. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. He didn't give me the gift. He says, oh, he didn't give you the gift. He says, so what do you do, Bani? What do you do for a living? He says, I'm a fisherman. So you're a fisherman. How do you do that? And he starts telling, well, you have to tie certain knots and you have to know what kind of bait to use. And at certain seasons, you use different bait because different fish. And you have to know how deep the fish are to have to, oh, and there's a lot of, you know, I can't just tell it to you all on one foot. There's a lot of wisdom there. So he says, and who gave you the gift? And he says, the Almighty. Thank God. He gave me the mind to understand. He says, he gave you the mind to understand, to make, to work your profession, but he didn't give you the ability to learn his Torah. Your actions speak louder than your mouth. He's going to show you your own life and he's going to compare you. Your own life says, oh, you couldn't give the dollar to the charity? Let's take a look. Last time you went to Starbucks, let's see how much money you spent. Okay, $3.58 on a cup of coffee and you couldn't give $1 to a poor man. Okay, now you're going to be able to answer him, but nobody's going to give the answers for him. You'll say, well, you have to understand there was a bribe there. The bribe was Hana. And my body was pulling me towards it. And I was blinded by it. Now, I gave you an opening. And he's going to say, really? Okay. And he's going to show you another thing through your life and another thing through your life. And he's going to show you against on your own actions. He's going to use your actions against you. But you have an ability to answer them on that day of judgment. It's, it's a court case. You have to give your plea. So I guess if they learned that Gemara and Megillah, based on what I'm saying now, then they could have used it. But if they didn't learn it, unfortunately, then it wouldn't work because they wouldn't know to answer that. So, But if they did learn the Marsha and they did, okay. But uh, then maybe they would be able to. If you knew it, then maybe you would be able to do it. I don't know. I, but uh, yeah, I, I actually, it was funny. I always thought about that. But your question was on that Gemara. And I never I never really gave it the right thought, you know, like the due diligence that that question probably deserves. But uh, I mean, I'll think about it a little bit more. I'm not sure if that if they really could have used it. But it sounds like from the Gemara they could have. But anyway, but the, but the fact is that we, we accepted the Torah for real. Because um, on, on uh, everybody knows the Ari. You know, the, the Ariya Kaddish says, uh, it's famous Ari, that everybody knows that. Um, it says that Yom Kippurim, when you compare something to something else, that means the thing you compare it to is the greater and it's the lesser. So it's Yom Kippurim means Yom Kippur is like Purim. That means that Purim is the greater and Yom Kippur is the lesser. So everybody knows what we do on Yom Kippur is we try to purge our physicality. We try to totally identify with our consciousness, with our soul, with our higher intellectual, our metaphysical being, and we purge our physical reality. We don't give any of those aspects of our physical reality. We don't provide for any of the needs. We don't self-afflict in a positive sense, but we don't give any of those beneficial needs. We need to eat. We don't eat. We need to take care of our skin. We don't anoint. 
We need to take care of our, we don't wear leather shoes. We don't do any of those needs of the physical body so that we can learn how to purge it. So we can identify ourselves with our soul so that we can transcend to this level of Kedusha that is unique to the Yom Kippur experience. And we try to live on a different plane of existence. But the Ari is telling us that Yom Kippurim, you know, the high holy day of Yom Kippurim, is that Yom Kippur is like Purim. That means that Purim is greater than that. And anybody who's had a Purim, hopefully in Yeshiva you've, you've experienced Purim what it is, it's a day totally engrossed in physicality. Drinking, Atelo Yada, whether it's, you know, or not, but Tlo Yada is a lot of drinking. You're supposed to eat meat and establish a Suda and give gifts and eat. And there's a lot of physicality and Purim is basically a day of indulging in the physicality. It's the day where we try to marry the two, marry our body to our souls. It's the day where we actually internalize. It's a day where we actually come to terms to the experience of what it actually means to be a Jew, the mitzvot and the Torah. It's a day where not the mind accepts, not the soul accepts, but the body accepts it with a wholehearted love. It's a kimu vikiblu. In that state of inebriation, we're trying to marry our bodies so that not that our, we purge our bodies so that we can identify our souls or the bodies. We take our bodies and we elevate them so that our soul has to catch up to it. If, in if infatuated love we're trying to experience, but from our bodies, not from our minds, not from our intellects, not from our soul, not from our seichel, from our body, from our raw experience. The flesh itself has to engage, has to be married to the Almighty. It's a kimu vikiblu. This is not a force. We're happy to do it and we're engaging in it. This context that it requires, this kind of kedusha that we're, t- well, we're talking about here, where we're taking the mundane and trying to lever, to trying to elevate it to a level beyond kedusha, something that we can accept the Torah at that level at, uh, it requires to begin with a state of awareness of what our chelik is and a, an immense appreciation for what it is. So happiness as the precursor to Purim is an absolute prerequisite. You have to be absolutely in love with life. So that you can really accept the Torah for real. It's, it's something that uh, is not an easy thing to do. And you should know when you drink, not in that context, uh, you know, so, you know, in comes wine, out comes truth. Uh, so for most people, Perm ends up being a day of uh, awakening, you know, where you kind of get really drunk and you say things you're not supposed to say. And then you do a cheshven and nefesh the day after. And you realize, oh my gosh, like, uh, I'm not as nice of a guy as I thought I was. You know, I said certain things to certain people. I was uh, saying certain things to women maybe I shouldn't have been saying. You know, uh, all of a sudden, a little bit of wine came in and a lot of truth came out. A lot more truth than I was comfortable usually letting out with this mask came off. You know, that's why we dress up on perm. You're trying to take off the mask. We all have masks on. We have these filters we put on. So when you drink, mask comes off. Sometimes gloves come out. So it's important that you make sure that who you really are. So for most people, that's what the perm experience is because there's no preparation. So they never made themselves a, a vessel capable of passionately loving their chilek, passionately loving life, enjoying life for its fullness and the fullness that it is. So because of that, their bodies were never capable of accepting the Torah for what it is because their body is just a meat-hungry, flesh-eating pig that has never been cultivated and shown appreciation of what is Torah, what is mitzvot. You know, it's very strange. Do you know that Kiddush is said over wine? 
Isn't that weird? No, it's not weird. Wine is a way of inducing physical body to engage. It's a day of Kedusha. Shabbos is a day of Kedusha. We require mundane to make it holy. That's what Kedusha is. We take animals that are chulin and we make them Kodesh. On Shabbos, Yom Kulei Shabbos, on the day of Shabbos, our bodies, we have to take them with us. They have to come with the experience. So, of course, we open up the Kiddush on alcoholic wine. If you want to experience Cherus on Pesach, you're going to use alcoholic wine. If you want your body to experience the truth of where your intellect is, you have to do a guided meditation. And the guided meditation uses substance. Now, but if you don't meditate before and come to terms and come to it with a certain context, it's totally haphazard. And truth comes out and there's still a benefit to it. You get to analyze and see who you really are and see the monster that you really are. And, you know, and, you know, all your niceties and politenesses are kind of uh, washed away by the alcohol. But if you if you do it correctly and you really come and bring your body along for the first time, you can accept the Torah with no more bliss suffix. This is not a, it's it's an expression of your body. It's an expression of your flesh. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu is an expression, his Ish Basar. Where do we find Moshe Rabbeinu in the Torah? Not the man of Seicho, it's Ish Basar. That's where we find him. That's, uh, it's a man of flesh. It's a flesh that accepts the Torah. It's a flesh that enjoys the Torah. It's a flesh that enjoys Shabbos. We're mortals, and as mortals we accept the Torah, not as Malachim. On, on Yom Kippur, we try to make ourselves like transcendental. On Purim, we try to make the transcendental experience what the flesh can really achieve. It's the total opposite direction, but it requires a context, and the context is happiness. I'll send you a write-up of, of it. I'll send you a write-up. I'll send you a short write-up of, uh, of, of, of what I just discussed. But what, what, what we're really trying to achieve, I think, you know, is what we're trying to achieve is we're trying to get our flesh to accept in a wholehearted acceptance, what it means to be a Jew, what it means to do Torah, what it means to do mitzvahs. Uh, because in no regard, it's the most pleasurable way to live life. That's why it was given to us. It's the most enjoyable way to live life. You know, a lot of people feel like that. If I have no rules, I can be more creative. If I have no laws, I have no structure, I can be more creative. It's quite the opposite. Find any successful man and he had a rigorous schedule. He woke up at a certain time. Now he had a certain amount of allotted creative time for free thinking. He would, from 11.30 to uh, 12.30, I'm going to free sketch openly. And that's how he did it. If you look at any autobiography of very successful creative men, you know, uh, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, uh, the creator of Apple, you look at autobiographies, you can see they were very disciplined, very controlled. Happened to be, he was a terrible human being, but okay, but most of them were terrible human beings, but they're very creative. So, you know, you know, it's like that old Roman story, you know, what do you mean? We did all of this for the Jews. The only reason we made hangouts was so that Jews could learn on Thursday nights. He says, ah, that's true. Jews did use hangouts to learn on Thursday nights, but you're full of malarkey. You didn't create it for Jews to learn on it. You did it for your own money and you did it for your own motives and you did it for your own power. And in the world to come, the motives are real. So this is, uh, you know, kind of ties into it that uh, the motives, the disposition, the deos, you know, there's nothing better for the goof than silence. Shouldn't it say there's nothing better for the neshama than silence? Or does it say there's nothing better for the goof? Because the emotions, the deos, the tendencies, those are in the body. 
and the, ref the refinement of those things are a change in the body, how you respond to things, how you express yourself things. That's in the flesh. The, when you when you come and you walk into maybe you, maybe you've experienced it once or twice on a young you know maybe on Kippur or Kol Nidre or perhaps maybe on a Lichadodi, and it's not your intellect so much that's engaged in the words. You're singing the songs and your body is enjoying it. Like when you turn on the radio and that song turns on that you just loved, and all of a sudden your body is taken to an emotional bliss and your mindset has changed and your mind has opened up. It's working on your body. And your body is there and your body is engaged and it's accepted it with its totality. We're trying to, for the first time, get our body to be able to and capable of accepting Kedusha and the Torah. We're trying to accept the Torah for real. And to accept the Torah for real means it's our body is accepting and not just our intellect, which is mostly what the time what we're trying to do. How, how do we actually do it? So, okay, so that, that's it. But, but this is something, obviously, you know... I, they're all tools to be used. You can use a tool intelligent, you can tool like a tool like an idiot, you know, uh, like all tools, you know. I say mitzvahs are tools for pleasure, right? They say, that works good for college guys, but not for me, right? So I say, oh, you're a smart guy, Jackie. You're a carpenter? You say, a little bit. I'll pay you $10,000 to build me a mahogany table. I say, $10,000, i will try, right? $10,000, i will give you the wood, I'll give you the tool. So you try, you come back two hours later, I see the, the, the table scratched, the wood is ruined. I say, Jackie, I'm paying you good money. Where's my table? You say, I tried, but you gave me bad tools. So I say, gave you bad tools. I gave you state-of-the-art tools. I say, let me see you try to use it. And I see you trying to balance the hammer, you know, and you're holding it, and you throw it like a tomahawk. I say, Jackie, they're good tools. You, know how, you need to know how to use them, you know? So then I say, okay, let me see you try to use the circular saw. And you try to push the button. And you say, no, no, why don't you show me how to do it first? So I show you. I say, watch your fingers. Measure twice. Cut once, you know? Watch your fingers. Watch your fingers, right? They're good tools. You have to know how to use them. So I show you and you say, okay, I'm comfortable. I can do it now. Okay, give it to me, Jacob. And I, you know, I give it to you. And you do. And then all of a sudden you start thinking about that girl. And this is, ah, and one finger comes knocking. And I, oh, you know. Uh, the mitzvahs are tools. And they have to be used intelligently. You have to know what they're for and how to use them. And you have to be consciously aware of how to use them. Why will you do it? This is something very important. You might know how to put on tefillin. And you might know the laws of film, and you might even know the purpose of film, and you might even know how to achieve the purpose of film, and you might even know the pleasure that film is trying to get you. But when we turn them on, we become Autobots. You know that? Okay, take them off. Okay, we're done. Okay, now we can start thinking again. We can start engaging in, right? That's for most of us, that's what it is, right? So we're playing with a circular saw. And we're thinking about that girl while we're playing with a circular saw. That's what we're doing when we do most mitzvahs. So drinking is no different. And drinking is a powerful one. You know, it's a psychotropic. You know, it affects your mind, how you think, how you feel, how you emote. So it's a sensitive one. So sip your wine slowly. Don't gulp it down. This is not uh, Thursday night. Thursday nights are reserved for getting dead drunk. On Purim, let's drink slowly, slowly, as you're analyzing the effects. So it, so the first is how the Ramam describes it. You should do it how the Ramam describes it. Sit down, make a Suda. Eat some bread. Don't drink wine in an empty stomach. Eat some bread. Eat some wine. Eat, eat some meat. Be there with your friends. What if we, you know, it's, it's you know, the, you know, that story in the Kumar Megillah, you know, good preparation for Purim is usually learning the Masechta and the Yom Tov is, and it happens to be a short one, so this year you have a little bit of time. Try to do a daf a day, and you'll finish. But anyway, so it goes through a story, you know, so it says, they're all sitting at the table, and uh, what do Jews do when they get drunk? Thursday night, 
learning, of course. What else would we do when we get drunk? We start talking about wisdom and understanding and insights of life. And what do those Gayim do when they get drunk? They start talking about, who is the most beautiful woman in the world? I think the Persians. I think the Babylonians. Oh, you think the Babylonians? Go get my wife here No, with nothing but the crown on. Right? That's what Gayim do when they get drunk. So that's what some people do when they get drunk, even on Purim, unfortunately. So you sit down at a table with wise men. And when they get drunk, it's not by mistake that story was in the Gemara Megillah. It's telling you how you have to sit down to the Suda. You're sitting down, you're eating food, you're engaging in wisdom and understanding, and you're eating meat, and then you start to engage in the wine. So it's in that process, and then you start to engage on. You've already done Shalachmanos in the morning, so you've created camaraderie, you've given Matana Servionim, so you've been, you've been benevolent, you've been creative like God, you're trying to help people, in that kind of mindset, and hopefully you've been working on happiness for the last month. And now you're in a fit of joy. It's like a, now, if you really do it correctly, you know, if you can really appreciate the accomplishment of what it is, is if you work for something really hard, you know, you're trying to run a marathon. You know, this is actually what I think uh, Menucha on Shabbos is very close to, if people really achieve it. Um, Menucha on Shabbos is only as good as the, what you do during the week. You know, you can't have Menucha on Shabbos if you didn't do anything during the week. If you did something during the week, then you can have Menucha on Shabbos. So what do I mean by that? Menuchas um, Shabbos is a very good pleasure, and I'll try to describe it to you. Uh, imagine you're running a marathon, but can any of you guys run a marathon? No. You say, give me six months and I'll prepare. So you start doing two a days. You wake up at 6.30 in the morning and you're running three miles in the morning, and then you're doing at night, 6.30 right, right after, right before supper, and you're running three more miles, right? And then as you get closer, three months, now you're doing six miles in the morning and nine miles at night, every day, two a days, and you're eating certain foods and digest, you know, and you're working and you're stretching. Six months, it takes some preparation. 26 miles, not an easy thing to do. And you're preparing yourself, right? And the night before, you're... Sh- smashing noodles down your mouth because you need the complex carbohydrates for the energy tomorrow and you're stuffing it down your mouth and you're drinking gulps and gulps of water you know and then the day comes and you're fasting no food no eating a little bit of measured water a little bit and you start jogging you know and you're running and you're getting to 20 miles and 24 miles and your legs are falling off but all that preparation i I gotta give up i'm gonna die i'm gonna pass out and you see at the distance, two miles away, the line, you see the red ribbon. And you're too, you've spent so much time and you're giving literally all you got, you know, you're, and you're, you're about to faint and then you're crossing the finish line and it's ripping across your chest. You know, the ribbon is ripping across your chest. You put up your hands. And, ah, all of that work coming to a culmination. That's menucha. It's accomplishment. It's an achievement of pleasure from a recognition of accomplishment. You're done. You did your task. You've completed it. You're finished. On Shabbos, you abstain. You finished. You're accomplished. It's a pleasure that is induced by accomplishment. Now, I hope that one Shabbos you'll appreciate what this menuch is, and I'm sure you've done it once before. But on Purim, if you really come to Purim with that, and when you sit down to your Suda, and you've really worked on happiness, you'll get this menucha. You'll sit down, and the bread will help you give it to you. And that's what the bread does. And the bread, and it gives it to you, and you're sitting down, and you're contemplating all of the list of pleasures that you've worked on for the last month and you're sitting there and you're just going through your head you know it by heart by now you've been through that list a hundred times by now and you're going through eyes and ears and nose and those don't even those are the lesser pleasures those are number 105 on the list and your friendship and wisdom and torah and maybe even tefillin is somewhere okay tefillin's lower on this but it's on the list still and this huge list and you're just going through the list and you're slowly drinking your wine 
and somebody shares with you something. And all of a sudden, for the first time, wow. Oh, wow. That's not just, that's not a, that's, you know, uh, I used to tell people, you know, yeshiva guys, when they would come to my house, base magic guys, usually. Older base magic, no, not the younger ones. When they would come to my house, I'd say, yeah, of course, come to my house, enjoy, you know, come for Friday night. But if you tell me a vortlach, I'll kick you out of my house. You, you know what a vortlach is? I told you last time, you know, vortlach. Cash it, and answer, and a text. Did it tell me anything? No, but it's cute. You know, maybe it's not even cute. Sometimes it's really not even cute. And but it's a vortlach. So, but he's saying he's not telling you a vortlach. He's telling you something he learned in the pasuk. And you're sitting there, and he's telling you something, and you're slowly sipping on it, and you're passionately in love with everything that is around you, because everything that around you is exactly as it's supposed to be, and you're opening up the bottle with your hands, and your your hands. You're appreciating it for the first time, like it's brand new to you. And you're drinking, and he's sharing wisdom with you. And for the first time, you come to terms with your lot, and you're happy. And you say, I would take it all over again. And I say, if we asked you, and on Perm, hopefully, when you're in your drunken stupor, hopefully, you'll reflect on these words. And this is important. If we asked you to do it all again, would you do anything differently? And you say, Yeah, I would have done this years ago. And you'll see. <laughs> it'll be different and it's an appreciation and it's something that you can really accept and for the first time your body comes to terms with the torah with the mitzvot now so normally what it is is like this you know i i think you know generally for myself included we come to davening and our body is not interested our body is tired and our body wants a cup of coffee and maybe it's hungry it wants to do anything literally anything but there but our intellect is powerful hopefully and it says shut up body put on this tefillin and do it. And that's like most of the time we're fighting. And But sometimes, you know, somebody's a good chazen or we were inspired by what something somebody said or it was a good cup of coffee before davening so it really got us into it. And our body was there. It was engaged. But most of the time, it's our this battle between our soul and our intellect. For the first time on Purim, we can get where it's not our intellect leading anymore. Our body is so engaged. Our body is pulling our intellect along. He's saying, no, 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 no. You're drinking and your body is saying, and tell them what you know about wisdom. Share what you know about the tar. It's our body telling it to do it. You know, sometimes we have that. I think, I don't know if you've ever got drunk with friends before. I mean, probably you have. I assume in the dorm, you know, Friday night, you know, and you're like drinking a little bit of alcohol and you get, and all of a sudden you get inspired by the alcohol, but inspired in a good way. And you're sharing and you think it's an experience that you can have. Uh, and there's a Kedusha, which you can experience that is quite unique. Where, where the body is totally elevated. And uh, sometimes, if you're lucky, you'll fall asleep and uh, you'll get perhaps something uh, that you never experienced in your sleep before, hopefully. Uh, you, you're supposed to drink till you fall asleep uh, because, you know, sleep and prophecy are very similar and close. And hopefully, if you've done it right, uh, your dreams won't be those typical dreams that you normally have. You'll be drunk and you'll drink till you fall asleep. But it, it won't be those normal dreams that you're normally having. It'll be something totally different. And now uh, I say that that's a little bit far-fetched. Far okay, it's a day of perm. It's an opportunity. And it's something that you can reach far beyond, you know, and uh, something important that uh, was told to me that on perm, you should always have money in your pocket. Small bills, coins, and anyone who reaches out their hand, you give them. No questions asked, no judgments. You know, on the normal time of the year, you can make a judgment, you know, does he really need it? Is he really poor? Do I, how much should I give him? Uh, on Purim, everybody, it's a minute of you saw, it's been for a long, long time, that you carry a lot of money in your pocket, small bills, that anyone who comes, par shot, puts out his hand, put in his hand. 
So it's Minagiso, it's very old Minagiso, that people carry money, a lot of money in their pockets. You don't have to give out, you know, coins, small coins, if you're not that rich, small coins in your pocket, so that you have that anyone who asks, you'll give him. So, Mikubalim, uh, they bring out that, uh, because that is the way of Purim. Anything you ask for, he offers you. So that is the way of Purim. So ask, and he offers it to you. Because that's why you reciprocate, and it's Migdhi and Mira. If anyone who asks you, you offer it to them. So anything you ask of the Almighty, he offers to you. But I say that you have to be a vessel, capable of receiving it. You have to be prepared, and you have to come to the table with the right set internal mindset and the right internal disposition and the right joy so that it doesn't just become a Mardi Gras, you know, and somebody throws beads and maybe you pull up your shirt. You know, uh, it depends on how drunk you really get. But uh, the, the, it's not what it's supposed to be. It's, it's supposed to be a Suda Simcha. And it can be if you can produce the Simcha, but the Simcha hat takes preparation. It takes, a, it takes a lot of preparation. And this year we happen to have a lot of time to do it. But uh, the first is recognizing and appreciating. The only way you're going to recognize is if you write it down. It used to be maybe in the time of old you could do it in your head. But when you write it down and you come to see it and you see, oh my gosh, that list is really, really long. And you start reading through it. And you say, wow, that is really, really wrong. It changes how you view life. And you start to view it. And then at the end, you write, it's all a gift. For most of it is a gift. What did we do? What did we do? Most of our attempts were so feeble and counterintuitive. I mean, most of the things that we try to do in our own life were usually going in the wrong direction. But it still works out. Of course, that's the whole Purim story. But anyway, but uh, the, the point is that uh, I hope that you got a little bit of understanding. But... Uh, I mean, we could talk more about Purim in general. You know, we didn't really talk about Purim at all. But uh, but the introduction to Purim and the presupposition to Purim really is happiness. Because it's really the presupposition to Torah and to mitzvot, which is what Purim is really all about. But it's it's for the first time really coming to acceptance of it. Where it's, you know, it's like, do you like ice cream? Yeah, I like ice cream. There's nothing to talk about. You know, but... But maybe a vanilla ice cream is not really as good as chocolate ice cream. You say, what are you playing games with? It's, it's an experiential truth. There's nothing to discuss. I like ice cream. I like Torah. I like wisdom. I like understanding. I experience an existence of a God. I experience morality. I experience these things. There's nothing to discuss. But until you get your body there, we play with intellectual games. And with intellectual games, we can always, uh, we can always create suffolk. You know, here and this and that and... But once you get your body really to engage in it and really to experience it, Kimu Vikiblu. We actually accept it. This is not your seichel raping your body and forcing it to do Jewish things. It's your, your body is happy to it. You bury your body with your soul. And for the first time, your body is leading the show, hopefully. But it's leading you in the right direction, we would hope. But usually our body is leading the show, but it's taking us in the wrong direction. But here it's hopefully taking us in the right direction. Okay, good. Hopefully, uh, I, you know, I really, I, I just can't stress this enough. But uh, I'm just telling you on a serious note, listen, you guys are young. And when you're young, it's very easy to be happy. Very, very easy. Really easy. You know why? Because I would go around the room right now and i say, hey, Jackie, what do you want to do when you're older? And you have all these big plans of, I want to be a big businessman and I want to be a venture capitalist. And I want to, then I want to, I'll retire at 36 when I'm worth $36 million. And then I'll learn all of Shas. And then after I learn all of Shas, I'll go teach the whole world. And then I'll be the Messiah, right? You know, and you all have your basic Messiah stories that you're all going to do, you know, and 
you know, whether you're gonna actually be the Messiah or in your stories, or oh, I'm gonna own a building and that's gonna be so tall that it's gonna be all the way into the heavens, and even God Himself wouldn't be able to knock it down, right? Whatever it is that your your vision is. But you have all these visions, or you know, I'm gonna be a big psychiatrist, and everyone's gonna to come to me and they're gonna give me nine hundred dollars an hour, and I'm gonna be wise beyond belief, right? Everybody has these visions of ultimately of grandeur, what and I hope all of these come true. But what I'm trying to bring out is that um when you get a little older and your your chalik is your chalik, whatever your chalik is, that's what your chalik is. And you come to terms of, oh, that's what my chalik is? What? I, I thought it was going to be, I thought it was at least three times the size. I mean, this is a school for ants. You know, this is crazy. I mean, I mean this, is, this is not the building I thought, this is not the car I was supposed to drive. This is not the shirt I'm supposed to be wearing. Uh, so... That's too. But in the second regard is you're not going to really be able to experience perm if you don't really work on happiness. And I, and I tried to give you, you know, and there's other methods and, you know, there's other ways that you could do it. But we have to change our inner mindset. We have to learn to appreciate and focus on the pleasures and possessions we have. Chairs, tables, food, food every day. You never went a day hungry. Do you know what it's like to go a day hungry? I don't know either. I've been blessed. I never went a day hungry. Never. You know, people have all these problems, you know, with bitachon, what am I going to do? How am I going to make money? How am I going to eat? Have you ever went hungry for the last 18 years of your life? Has there ever been a day in your life where you didn't have money that you needed? No. Well, there was one time. You know? No, never. So what are you worried about tomorrow? It's a certain focus. It's a focus where we're focusing on things and we're not being honest about the lot that we really have. And it takes a little bit of time and it takes a little focus. And there's a lot of pleasures that we have. Emotional pleasures. There's a lot of emotional pleasures. And for most of us, those are going to be the heavy ones. An appreciation of what our parents have done for us. Appreciation. But even if we don't want to acknowledge all of those things, because they, they make us feel suppressed or whatever it is, we want to be independent. Okay, whatever it is. But the fact is, we, we come to terms with those things, and you approach Perm totally differently. It's a totally different experience. And the drinking is totally different. Drinking has a way of bringing out the truth. When you refine it, and all that you want to bring out when drinks come in, is you want to, when you're in a good mood and you really are in a good mood and you drink, you want to make other people in a good mood. You know, this is something you should know that if you want to know if you're really happy or not, how do you make other people feel? Do we increase their happiness or you, do you generally decrease their happiness? So yeah, be honest, examine, you know, and I'm done just talking about your friends. I'm talking about the people who sit across from you at the table, uh, people who sit across from you at your Shabbos table, uh, your parents, um, those people who are not really your friends, uh, all those people. Uh, if you are aggressive, uh, angry, uh, lustful towards any of them or all of them, then for to begin with, then you are certainly not as happy as you believed yourself to be. So then play the game. But uh, but but be aware that you're not gonna. It's not gonna happen on its own. You know, if you don't do it for yourself, nobody's gonna do it for you. That's something that you should. Read. And I'm serious on this note: is if you don't do it, you're gonna move towards depression. It's inevitable. It's an active thing and you have to constantly, actively be doing it. And particularly once you know it's a choice and you don't think it's outside circumstances, unfortunately, now I've told all of you, so now it's going to happen a little quicker now. Because before you could have the delusion of believing, well, if I graduate college and if I do this, then I'll be happy. But I told you that that was a scam and you somewhat agreed, hopefully, to a little bit degree of what I said. So now you know, yeah, it's really true. It's it's really not going to be, and it's not going to be outside external things that are going to be. It's really going to be an internal change. 
So it could be a Samim Avis for you, but I hope it isn't. I hope it's a Sam Vichayim, but uh, you have to try to Mekayim it a little bit. So just a little bit. If you're not going to do anything else, I do. At least so that this lecture does not become a Samim Avis, something that destroys you. So that I have to walk into a dark room and pull up my sleeve so that the light comes into the room and have to give me your hand. So that this doesn't turn into that story of you in a dark house. At least wake up in the morning and say, life is a gift. Thank you. Life is a gift. It's good. You're not into thanking God? Fine. Life is a gift. It's good. Life is a gift. It's good. Say it a few times till you mean it. It's very easy. It takes two seconds and it would totally change your life. The first person you see after you do that, you'll see. You're naturally smiling. You don't have to put on a fake one. Oh, great to see you. You know, hey. Who, who, who was that? Oh, I don't know. I, he just just walked by. I just automatically, I put up my hand when I see somebody. You know, my uh, my wife, when she used to walk by people on Shabbos, you know what she used to do? You know, uh, people say, you know, good Shabbos. So she used to say, pajamas. Pajamas. And uh, nobody's really listening, so nobody caught it. So they always say, oh, good Shabbos. She would say, oh, pajamas. Oh, pajamas. We sometimes do things totally robotically, but on Chavez you'll see. Try it. Nobody, nobody will catch it. I'm talking. You say it straight to their face. They don't catch it. Pajamas. Oh, 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 Chavez. Oh, pajamas. Nobody catches it. You, you say it straight to their face. Pajamas. They don't. They're they're not listening. You're not listening. You're listening now because you want to make sure that they don't say pajamas back. You know. Or another game. You know, Benji Copeland Tommy says, uh, if somebody says to you, "Good Chavez." So you say to them, or you actually engage. So you say Shabbat Shalom. They, it's funny. People mostly respond how you say it to them. You say Shabbat Shalom. They say Shabbat Shalom. You say Kachamas. They say Kachamas. You have to initiate it, though. Benji Kopelman showed me this trick. It's pretty funny, actually. But I guess we're, that's what we are. We're social creatures. I don't know if you ever saw that experiment where they have those guys in the elevator. And uh, there's everybody is uh, hired. It's the elevator, like uh, maybe five, six people in the elevator. And there's one person, it's a social experiment, it's done, it's done hundreds of times, uh, but it's always the same results. So there's like five guys in the elevator, all of them are paid actors, except for one guy. And uh, they're in the elevator, and, you know, it's a recording in the middle, you know. And the, the guys, every, every, the five trained actors, every five seconds, they turn like this. And they just start staring at, not, here's the opening of the elevator, and they start turn and they stare at the wall. And you see every time, every single time, the guy is like, Awkward. They did it on girls too. The guy is awkward. And he turns. And then they and then they do it again. After ten seconds, they turn again. Back like this. And the guy is now like this, looking at the wall. And everybody, all five of them turn. There's no it's not like a double elevator where there's another it's just a wall. And he, you see him like squirming and he's and he turns. And then they and then of course then they do it again. They turn and He's squirming, and he turns, and then they turn again, and he's turning again. And they do the same experiment where, where they have the elevator doors open, and everybody is facing, so here's the, here's the opening of the elevator, and everyone is facing, the five people are all actors, are facing when the elevator door opens like this in the elevator. So they're not facing the entrance, they're facing the back wall, all five of them. And every single time, the people walk in. And of course, that's where they face. They go, they walk in, and they face the back wall. They face the back wall. And, and it looks totally ridiculous. And you see, I mean, it's a very well-known social experiment. Look up, uh, you know, the 
um, what's it called? I don't remember what it's called, but if you look up on YouTube, you'll find it. It's been done hundreds of times on men, on women. It, it always works. It, it's like uh, they have them looking at the ceiling. They have them looking at their shoes. But these ones, the turning ones, it, it's so it's so embarrassing for the person. When you watch the video, you see this guy. He looks like a total idiot. He keeps turning as they're turning. It just, it's, it's very funny. Anyway, but... Uh, Okay, we're social creatures. We, we're, we're painted by our environment. But hopefully, you know, just in general, we are social creatures. Our perm has a lot to do with that, too. That's why we're giving f gifts to friends, and we're trying to create a camaraderie. We're trying to create a social circle. We're, we're trying to create it to be, it's supposed to, it's supposed to be a social interaction, because, of course, uh, the Torah can only be accepted when we're ishechad belevechad. We can only be ishechad belevechad when we have absolute achdos. So then, of course, all of the mitzvos on Purim are going to supposed to promote achdos. You have a suda, everyone comes to sit down, and we're starting giving gifts to everybody. And you should be giving gifts to people who you don't really like even so much, not those ones who you are your friends. But you, and you should even give the gift, so on and so forth. And you should give the gift in a way that the person won't be embarrassed by getting the gift. So either you should give the gift to a shliach or give the gift to yourself, okay, depending on the circumstances. And then we give charity because, of course, to receive the Torah, we have to have absolute unity. Okay, but uh, we spoke enough. Okay, good. Anything else? Any other questions? Okay, the, the assignments I actually, I mostly got from Rav Noach, but um, the, the, the assignments are, the, the, the assignments is, is twofold. Is when you wake up in the morning, say uh, Modahani, but say it for real, or say it in English, you know, you know, say it in Hebrew in your robotic way, or say it for real, or say it in English until you know, life is a gift. Life is good. Life is a gift. Life is good. It gets you off your entitlement. That, that's assignment number one. Um, it's a gift. We didn't do anything for it. Nothing. We didn't do anything for it. Remember that, remember that refrain. You didn't do anything for all of the pleasures in your life. A very few of the pleasures in your life you did something for. Okay. Very few. A few of them. And some of them are heavy. I'm not saying not. You know, you did learn how to read and write. You know, that was, you did, you did it to some extent. I mean, you were a kid, so I don't know how much credit can we really give you if parents kind of forced you to do it. But, okay, you did it a little bit. And then the second is um, every day write down three pleasures or four pleasures that you have that day for 30 days straight. Same time every day you write it down. Four pleasures. Physical pleasure, one. Emotional pleasure, an accomplishment, and an intellectual pleasure. Four pleasures you have for 30 days straight. Then on the 30th day, prioritize them. Put them in order. What is the most important? What is the least important pleasure? Every day for, for the next 30 days. Uh, and, then the, and then the last is what you have to stay away from is you have to stay away from those three particular characteristics, kina, taiv, and kavod. Because uh, no matter what you do and change your mindsets, uh, those ones will quickly motziya adam and olam. They quickly bring you back to that uh, state of uh, focusing on what you lack very quickly. So you have to kind of try to stay away from those to, to the most severe extent. So um, if that means that maybe you don't associate with certain people uh, that promote those kinds of ideas, or maybe you don't go to certain places, or you figure out uh, where your arrogance is stemming from, uh, maybe talk a little bit less about yourself, so on and so forth. But uh, those, those three are really, you have to try to stay away from those. So do your best for the next month to try to stay away from those three particularly. Um, and the, those are the general two assignments. And, uh, and, I, and I hope, you know, you play the game for the rest of your life, you know. But uh, it's an active thing, happiness. Don't forget that. It's not passive. You, you never achieve it and then you're there. If you're not constantly fighting it, 
You know, it's like riding your bike up a hill. You're not pedaling, you're going back down. You know, you know, everyone always uses the escalator one, but it's really not true because escalator one is, is not really a good muscle. It's really much closer, if you would want to know a real muscle, it's much closer like you're riding your bike up a hill and there's a cliff behind you. Uh, why? For two reasons. Why is that a better muscle? So, you know, everyone says like life is like an escalator. If you're not moving, you're going backwards. You know, you know that, you know, but it's not like that. That's not the truth, because the, the actual truth is that um, if you don't pedal on on a uphills on a on a hill you start slowly going backwards and then you start accelerating really fast backwards really fast and then you start pedaling so fast backwards you can't pedal up anymore because there's too much resistance and then you lose control of the bike and you fall right off the cliff uh, that's a much more accurate depiction of actually what really happens when you stop pedaling um the other one is like really nice and soft, so you tell it to like grade school kids, you know, like, whoa, you know, because it's like, whoa, you, you don't, you don't walk, and you go a couple steps back, so you have to take a couple steps forward, and you're back where you were started. Not exactly. Uh, anyone who's who's been on the path of life, or you've maybe unfortunately had some friends that have been on the path of life, they stop pedaling, and then they quickly, pretty quickly, you know, uh, two or three years, they start really tumbling really quickly, uh, and then it becomes uncontrollable. And then they hit the rock bottom. They fall off the cliff. And then at that point, to get back up the mountain, you know, it's like when those people say to you, you know, you know, there's 24 things, I believe, 24 things that hold you back from tshuva. So one of them is, I'll do the Avera, but I'll be closer with tshuva before Yom Kippur. That is only a person, a naive child, as says that. Why? I can do it. I can be, I can do the Avera. I'll, you know, I'll eat pork, and then I'll be closer with tshuva by Yom Kippur time. Because they think that it's an escalator, and then it goes a couple steps backwards. That's what they think. They don't know that they're going to tumble down the hill and then fall off the cliff. Uh, you won't be able to. I mean, you can climb up the cliff. Try to do it. Two broken legs, broken hand. You can barely move. You're trying to climb up a rock. Keep sliding, sliding back down. You think rocks are stable ones that you keep stepping on, and they keep falling back down. Uh, it's really hard to climb up a mountain, especially when you don't have the right tools. Uh, you lost your bike halfway down the hill. Uh, all of your tools fell out of your backpack. Okay, so on and so on. I think you get the muscle. But but the point is, uh, it's really easy to go down the hill, and it's very difficult to go up the hill, especially without your bike. Uh, the, the, this muscle, you should know, I, is uh, is pretty real. Cost is huge. I promise you, the cost is huge. It's like getting ten thousand dollars now, and giving away hundreds of millions of dollars in ten years from now. You know, put it in a little perspective. Okay, good. Good guys. Any 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 other questions? Hopefully I tried to persuade you against against lust, you know, but uh covered everybody knows is bad. It's you know, but uh, most of us don't suffer from covered anyway really. Not in any real sense. You know, we you know, it's like uh he's a he's a humble man and he has a lot to be humble about. That's like most of us, you know. We have a lot to be humble about. Like what did we really do already, you know, you know. No, but some of us did do, but okay, but most of us, you know. Okay, what did I really do already? You know, so it's covered is not yet our plague. But when we get a real, little older and we get a little bit more accomplished and we, you know, covered will become our plague. So we prepare for it now. So we try to analyze what it is and what it holds us back. But if you really build a hospital, okay, you have something to be arrogant about. You really did build a hospital. You really do save thousands of people's lives every single year. Oh, okay, well, now it's a little bit more difficult for you to be humble. Okay. We'll see. But for now, we're basically fighting with the first two, I think, Kina and Taiva. And Taiva is a dangerous one. 
Kina, everybody knows. In America, everybody knows. Don't be jealous. Don't compare. Don't be competitive, right? But it's hard, you know, but we're focusing on what we don't have. And when we focus on what we don't have, we become depressed. And he loves when we're depressed. Oh, he makes monkeys of us when we're depressed. We do really desperate things when we're depressed. We do really stupid things when they're depressed. That's the best. We're so weak. We're so feeble. <laughs> he can play with us as he eh, sleep a little more. Learn a little less. Drink a little more. Yell a little more. Get a little angry. He can do, he can do so much. Depression, he's, he's running the show. Okay, anyway, I hope you, uh, hope you guys uh, enjoyed it. It was a pleasure. I'm glad you guys uh, had me had me come. Thank you. Have a good night. All the best, guys.